This is a Media Lab podcast. Welcome to Kyle and Dave versus the Machine. My name is Kyle. And I'm still sick. And I'm the Machine. Is that for pity? Did I get the pity? <laughs> no, no, we're not pausing for anything. Fuck. This is a podcast where a sentient machine is forcing us each season to watch movies from a specific year in order to prevent it from starting the apocalypse. The machine still threatens our lives if we don't review the films it asks us to, although we do tend to talk about the ideas of the movie rather than the movie itself. And today, we're going to be watching the film Grease 2. <laughs> This is going to be a wonderful year, Blanche. Oh, wonderful. Spend the vacation in the summer sun. Get the lines of action, have a lines of fun. Oh, like a band to the bumble. Oh, Personally, I think that being late demonstrates terrible leadership qualities. Well, I'm not waiting anymore. Here she is. We're going to be late. Let's go. Of course, a big thank you to our patrons over on Patreon. Their contributions help us continue this show since the machine, you know, doesn't help us pay for these movies. Uh, Plus, each month we do a bonus episode over there as well. Television is just like on my mind. I've been watching so much Grease this week (laughs) that, uh, you know, set in the 50s and into the 60s. Really the period of time where television was coming into its own. I feel kind of disconnected from television here recently. I, I kind of want to know what to watch. Dave, you know, I'm, I'm feeling weird here. I think I, I want to watch like a really good, really good TV show. You know what I mean? You're stuck here in like 1982. Oh, right. There's not that much good stuff here on 1982 television. So Right. We still watch TV. Cable television, 1982. Yeah. 1982 in Canada, 13 channels? Well, I, I grew up when I only had three, but sure, mm. yes. Mm, Toronto. <laughs> but I grew, I grew up out on a farm, so that's probably why. We know what we should do here, Dave. Yes. Maybe ask for an expert. Maybe the machine has someone that they can bring. Mm, mm. And luckily enough, we just heard a knock on our guest door. So let's open this up here. Matthew, welcome back. Oh, hey, guys. How's it going? It's mm. good. Thank you so much for crossing through time and space through this interplanetary uh, yeah. portal that we have here. <laughs> We have two questions for you, Matthew. Do you have time, one, to sit down and talk about Grease 2? I always have time to talk about Grease 2. <laughs> Excellent. But before we get there, you yourself, of course, if, if people know you at all, they'll know you in a few different ways. Of course, you're a writer, playwright, and also, I, I think I said this last time, you're on Twitter Provocateur. Okay. So... Uh, but you know a lot about television and I have stumbled across some great TV shows based on your recommendations here in the past. Just as a setup, I think what I get into, this is a weird thing for me, which I don't know if you, Dave, have the same thing. I love television. I love the, the way that television is able to unfold stories, but also there seems to be so much good stuff. It's like, oh, I don't want to waste my time on this TV show over here. That's going to be like 10 hours of my time. Mm. I can watch a movie and be like, okay, that was a waste of my two hours. <laughs> but it feels like I don't want to waste four hours of my time finding out that this is a bad TV show. Uh, I don't know. Dave, do you have the uh, same feeling? I mean, I might describe it as burnout. There's just, I don't even know right. if it's good content anymore. 
you know, I was a big fan of the streaming services when I could bulk watch stuff, but now there's too much bulk and I am, yeah, I think loosely I have the same sort of thought. If I see a new series, I typically check the uh, number of episodes and the length of each episode and do a quick calculation. I'm like, oh, 20, like 20, a lot of some of these K-dramas, man, that Helen's so into, 24 <laughs> one and a half hour episodes. Now I, I think I'm going to fucking pass on that. But it's hard, right? Because sometimes you miss some good stuff and people start, well, you know me, Kyle, no, nobody talks to me, but some other people may talk to their friends about whatever's popular. And, uh, and that's a thing. So, I don't know. TV is kind of weird, right? It's in a, it's in a middling, evolving place i feel like well I, yeah i don't know i feel like you can connect more with with characters oftentimes in in tvs because you spend a lot more time with them but uh, matthew from your point of view what uh what should what should dave and i be watching okay i feel like that's a really loaded question but <laughs> i'm is. happy to give you all right so when i think about like what i'm currently watching that's still airing because mm-hmm. i'm like probably 40 hours deep into a depressive Gilmore Girls rewatch at the moment. <laughs> of course, um, yeah. Why? We, uh, why? We all have those days. I we know, all have those days. Just I woke it. up one day recently and was like, I think I need to watch Gilmore Girls. <laughs> and now I'm like season two, like late oh, in it. And mm-hmm. It's one of those 24 episode, hour long episode kind of shows. Yeah. Um, not, not, not to derail this conversation too much. On my last rewatch of Gilmore Girls, because I have done it multiple times myself. Oh, at what happen. point do you flip? Or maybe you don't. But for me, is there a point where you flip and like, oh, Rory Gilmore is actually the villain of this show? <laughs> do you do you have oh, that same feeling? Oh, oh. Should turn my mic off here and let you guys go for it. <laughs> All right. I am probably an Amy Sherman Palladino apologist in that sure. I... I kind of understand or understood her vision a little bit better upon discussing what was happening on that show, like after, especially after a year in the life, only because they set it up so very clearly that like the whole show is about Rory becoming Lorelai. And in order for Rory to become Lorelai, Rory needs to go from being present day Lorelai to past Lorelai and then, then make the jump to all of the mistakes that Lorelai makes. So like you're kind of watching this girl who's very sweet and kind and innocent become a very kind of privileged, even by accident or or not by any fault of her own, very privileged private school, very like Connecticut, wealthy white girl. I would say the most discriminated against people. And then you're kind of watching the downfall of that because then a couple of years delayed, she kind of has that falling in with the wrong crowd, falling with the wrong boys, going through her rebellious syndrome. And then what the show was supposed to do before Amy Sherman Palladino got kicked off was end with Rory becoming pregnant, I'm assuming by Logan, Mm -hmm. which is what ends up happening in a year of the life, but delayed 10 years. So like by the time she gets pregnant by Logan and should be ending up with Jess and she's repeating the cycle of Lorelai becoming Lorelai, you know, raising a child on her own, having um, this like, will they, won't they with the Luke slash uh, Jess of it all. So, um, and then Logan being Christopher and having this like really privileged upbringing, ultimately like a well-meaning, charming person, but just like bad for her. As much as I want to be like a Rory Gilmore the monster, Rory and Lorelai are both kind of monsters and they have been from the get-go, but in a way that they're like, 
kind of irritating and they'd make stupid mistakes and you're like one you want to shake them and hit them a little bit but like it's one of those things where like when white lotus ended and people were like a little disappointed by that ending mm-hmm. i was like it fulfilled the thesis of the show it did what we were told was going to happen from the very beginning so like feeling my feelings when i watched all of it for the first time and feeling my feelings when I watched a year in the life and being shocked and then kind of thinking back on it. I was like, Oh, we were told from the first episode, like, yeah, I, I can't be Laura surprised at this line. Yeah. I think Laura mm-hmm. even has a line where she's like every day you're becoming more and more like me or something like that. Or like, mm-hmm. it's very, very clear. So Dave, you're my Lorelai Gilmore, just so you know. Oh, sorry, I, I, uh, I have no idea what we're talking about. That's uh, <laughs> great. It's like a foreign language too. Have you never watched Gilmore Girls? No. I love that. No. It's I, great. Uh, I have it no interest. Had no interest. Have no interest, yeah. Whether or not you want to watch the entirety of the show, which like, that's your business. <laughs> I rewatched the first episode and I was shocked at how well done that pilot is it, it's a great pilot yeah. entire town they establish probably like 30 characters and they do it in a way that's not um Heavy you end. don't feel overburdened everything's unique and interesting and they immerse you in this world so quickly so like as a person who watched that pilot one time probably in 2013 i watched it back like a week or two ago and i was like oh that's like masterful mm. it's a masterfully done piece of tv um, whether or not it's like an exciting pilot for you, it's like very well done. It's a good segue talking about masterful writing. And now we're going to talk about <laughs> Grease 2. Oh, yeah. Well, before we get there, we do need to still talk about the three shows that Matthew wants to recommend. Oh, I can give you three good suggestions. The first and foremost is Abbott Elementary. Abbott Elementary. I'm on that train, by the way. It's so good. It's so good. And I think it's good. In the, you were saying that earlier that tv tends to make us care a little bit more about characters than films mm-hmm. do because you have more time with them there's a thing that i talk about all the time i actually don't know if i mentioned it on the last time i spoke to you guys but there is an article that i reference all the time that talks about um representative media and how it's scientifically proven that shows like blackish or fresh off the boat or Fresh Prince or whatever, like mm-hmm. like these shows that were like showing you a kind of different, these diverse shows that were showing you a different side to the world than like your average white American family would or whatever, like were scientifically proven to make people less like prejudice against mm-hmm. people who are different than them. Will and Grace introduced the concept of like a non-threatening homosexual man, like to many of uh, right. families across the world. And it's because you're inviting these characters into your home week by week. And I think Abbott Elementary is a really cool way to do that, where these characters are like super diverse and super interesting, but that's not really even the point of the show. The point is that they're like characters who care about this like low income school, these students who need a little bit more attention. And like whether or not you give a shit about like the plot of Janine needs to speak to a parent at the school uh, who has a kid who needs a little extra help. Like it's the, the moral there of like, you should care about people, you should care about kids, you should care about education um, and funding like low-income school without it being like so aggressively in your face. About, Plus it's super you know, funny. Like it's just super it's so funny. funny. Um, so Abbott Elementary is a big, a big plus for me. I had two on the list and then I thought of, a, I was like, really like, what is a third? Um, I was thinking sex, sex lies of college girls on HBO max is really okay. funny. I was a little uncertain about it. The first episode is, is like a, a mega pilot. So it's like a half hour show, but the first episode's an hour. 
And the whole first 30 minutes, you're like, this is a pretty run of the mill, simple thing. And then in the last 30 minutes, it kind of takes everything that you learned in the first 30 and kind of flips it on its head in a fun way. Um, so layers and upon layers. And it's, it, I think they actively work to like subvert what you expect from the show, which is fun. Um, but just like very funny, very like lighthearted. And then like still kind of has a, a wall up there. Is that in its first season still? First season's over. Second season is, I think, being made. They, they're announcing news about it, but I don't know what, what stage in production it is. Um, and then I was like really unsure about what I was going to say with my third show because I was like, what have I been watching recently that's like new and also coming back? Mm-hmm. And I was going to say The Gilded Age, even though I spend every single week of The Gilded Age being like, why do I watch The Gilded Age? <laughs> um, right. <laughs> but. Um, I'm going to say Starstruck, which is also on HBO oh. Max. It's a, basically a modern day Notting Hill. It's a young woman who actually I don't even know what her like regular day job is, um, but she does not come from money. She's not like a conventional like main character. And she ends up meeting like a man and having a one night stand with him and then finds out that she uh, slept with a very, very famous movie star. And each episode is like a time jump, much like Notting Hill. Like there are many time jumps in it, but it's them kind of navigating, falling back into each other's lives and falling in love and the complications of like an average day person dating someone very famous. And um, it's really, I was very skeptical because I like Notting Hill and I was like, this is just Notting Hill, but it's (laughs) very good. It's very, yeah, I like it a lot. So those are my three. I am I'm down for jumping into those other two. I'm I'm already watching Abbott Elementary. It's hilarious watching Dave's face because I can tell it's like <laughs> in the back of his mind he's like I'm watching none of those. I've never heard of any of them. And uh, you should watch Abbott Elementary if, of all of those three, Dave. I think you I, would. I don't have access to any of these things. Also, not to offend you, Matthew, but we reviewed Notting Hill in season one, and uh, yeah, Dave doesn't like it. I do <laughs> like Notting Hill quite a bit. So. <laughs> Love it. Ugh. I don't think we make movies like Notting Hill anymore. Yeah, is that a good thing or a bad thing? <laughs> I think it's a bad thing. Because I think like when you think about it, there are so many, and I'm going to tie Notting Hill into Gilmore Girls. It's one of those things where like every character is so well-developed and so unique and so interesting. And they could be on screen in like a, and have three lines in a scene, but those lines are impactful and interesting and charming and like, it's really good. It's just really a well, whether or not you enjoy, like the plot is really jarring of Notting Hill. Cause you spend the entire movie being like, Julia Roberts is a monster. Leave, <laughs> leave the poor man alone. Like you're a bad person, but like, it's just, um, it's like interesting to watch as someone who's like, we don't make things like this. Yeah. That type of romantic comedy just is not attempted. I mean, the new one with JLo, uh, marry me, I thought was, kind of a return to that a bit but still really? uh, i haven't seen it i was interested I, I don't know what it is i find jennifer lopez a really interesting actress to watch too so she has good uh, charisma stage presence jennifer lopez should have been in greece too i think there's just two things quickly that we should touch on which is number one because this is the sequel greece 2 i think mm. we should probably just as a blanket statement like what our feelings are on Greece, the, the original Greece, whether that's the movie stage show if you've seen a production of it so matthew what's your What's your opinion on the first Greece? I feel like Greece to me growing up, like especially gay and in musical theater and blah, 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 blah. Like Greece was like light. 
and water and air like it's always been there mm-hmm. I, I feel like the first time i ever watched it it felt like it had not like i'd seen it many times before mm-hmm. like i feel like it was just pieces of things i was familiar with that was like sharing sure. together which i also feel is like true of a lot of things like i like i watched a miyazaki movie for the first time i watched spirit away for the first time and i was like i've seen this entire movie <laughs> in gift form on tumblr yeah just yeah, yeah, yeah. It together, you know like that kind of thing i also did grease in high school who were and, you uh, i was a freshman so i didn't Great. have a part but um, <laughs> excellent um, to this day one of my good friends still um introduces herself professionally and then says my fun fact is that i was rizzo in my high school production of greece um and i was just with a co-worker who i guess worked with her years ago and she was like wasn't she Rizzo in her high school production of Greece? Like it is a thing that comes to mind. So like Greece is, Greece is the word, baby. Um, I think Greece is an interesting movie because it takes the premise of the play and the musical and, or like the stage production and kind of does away with it. Yeah. It like, changes a lot. The, the stage production is that Danny is trying to be more like Sandy and Sandy's trying to be more like Danny. So when mm-hmm. Sandy shows up in her like hot, bad sandy outfit danny is in like a varsity sweater and like has his hair combed like a little dork and is like trying really hard to be like a good boy and it's like they've changed for each other because they care about each other and in the movie it's just like sandy has given up her morals and values for yeah danny. i mean <laughs> so, yeah, like, it, it, it's so true like there was that uh grease lives that happened i don't know that was like four mm-hmm. or five years ago i don't know what time is anymore it was sometime in the last five years that grease live happened sure. i think and I remember being online at that time. They're like, this isn't the plot of Greece. I'm like, it is. It's just not the plot of the movie right. of Greece, which is what everyone yeah. is familiar with. I think it's really interesting with like the premise of Greece 2, because mm-hmm. with Greece 2 being a, a musical movie sequel, they basically were like, let's make a sequel to a movie that was made because the stage production was really good. And yes. then they made a movie that was really well received. But then they took basically like the worst parts, like <laughs> half-assed values and and yeah, uh, it's it's bizarre. Concept. Yeah, it's the um, inverse of an inverse. Mm, the double but negative. If you know how things were adapted along the way, like Grease Two starts to wreck your brain because like this is like an adaptation of an adaptation that was an adaptation of something else, and it's like they're trying yeah. to cobble it together. It's so it's a weird. Waluigi. Grease it's a Waluigi. That's right. That's what the, the subtitle should have been. I was so disappointed this didn't have a subtitle. Like it should be Grease Two something. Grease Two Waluigi would have worked. Though. Originally, this movie was called Son of Grease. Oh, <laughs> yeah, gross. And then they changed it to Grease Two. Mm. And apparently, the lead actor was very unhappy about that. <laughs> Who's the son in this case? Anyways, doesn't matter. <laughs> oh, yeah. I will say this. I rewatched the first Grease this week as well just in like preparation you're so right i have not probably seen that movie in like a couple of decades and everything was like oh yeah i remember this scene i know this scene like everything is like so recognizable as you watch it even if you haven't watched in a long long time this is my maybe unpopular opinion about at least the movie version of greece i actually find the actual plot line of the first greece like mediocre at best like i don't really i don't really like the book of greece all that much but every song is so killer that it's like, who cares? Yeah. I'm having fun every time they break out in the song. So I can forgive it. It's kind of stupid plot because it's like literally every song is a banger. 
every single song is good. You can forgive those 45, obviously 45 year olds playing. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I was looking up ages while I was watching. I was like, there is no way. It's like, that guy's 36. That guy's 34. Like, how are they, how are they getting away with this? Uh, Dave, your your uh, history with Greece. I've never seen the stage production, which it sounds like I'm missing out on because that's the very thing you described, Matthew, is why I actually don't like Greece very much at all. It is part of our cultural zeitgeist, so I recognize all the songs. You know, the songs are uh, fine. Like we could probably start uh, singing them. I, I won't, but um, they be have become part of American, North American culture. I'm trying to remember, I was watching, oh, West Side Story and Helen's never seen West Side Story before. Yeah. And she's I like, to bring oh, this out. I know this song. I'm like, of course, you know, this I've song. never seen West Side Story. <laughs> <laughs> so we're in the same. So, oh uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, I feel pretty goes on. She's like, this is from this movie or, you know, we learned with Doris Day's uh, Case Sarah coming from a Hitchcock film. Like, these are things yes. that permeate the world, but we don't. So, Greece has that. But when I watched it, I felt like it was exceptionally overrated. Now, I didn't hate it. We'll talk about what hating a movie is like in a couple of minutes. Right, right. But uh, I will also say too, in my younger years, I was obsessed would probably be not a strong enough word, but I was obsessed with the Rosie O'Donnell show. I loved it. Sure. Um, and, and that really introduced me a lot to Broadway because I could not go and experience Broadway being so far away from it. And I knew that she was in the revival of Greece in the 90s, uh, in the early 90s. And so I bought that copy of Greece, and that's kind of the copy of Greece I listened to over and over and over again with her as Rizzo. She played Rizzo on Broadway. How about Michelle Pfeiffer? Just quickly before we go into break, any anything we want to say about Michelle Pfeiffer? I love Michelle This Pfeiffer. is her first movie, by the way, like literally her first movie. Incredible. I love her. I also think she's the only one in this movie who got away unscathed. Yes. Yes. Every other actor in this movie disappeared and she rose to fame, but it was like a star making vehicle for her. And she's really good in it. She's just good. She's transcendent. She's awesome. And she's Catwoman. I mean, she's just, uh, she's, she's probably the best, the best Catwoman. Yeah. Easily the best Catwoman because she actually can act. I can't, there's another podcast I was listening to that made this point here sometime in the last few weeks as Michelle Pfeiffer came up on their show. Her career is so interesting because it's like every, I don't know, five to six years, she's in a movie that gets like major Oscar buzz and then she never gets nominated. It's so weird. Like every time it's just like, oh, she's going to get nominated finally this year, finally this year, year and then nothing. But I she, was really hoping that she was going to get something for French Exit. Me too. Yeah. I mean, I said that before I even saw the movie, but... Um, mm -hmm. I read the book and loved it and then was really excited for her. And I think there's a world where it could have been. It just, yeah. she's just, she's really good in everything I've seen her in. You know what I mean? Like, like even if she's in something that's not great, a la Grease 2. Um, she shines through it. She shines. Yeah. She's yeah. really good. I think when I was doing some background research, I get the sense that it's so weird to say, but I think she's too, too pretty to be taken like she everything she does she's actually such a great actress she does so many different affectations and characters and she picks these fascinating roles so you think that she would get more sort of industry credibility but i have a feeling she's like too beautiful i don't know there's something weird going on there with the politics because uh mm -hmm. yeah she should she should have an award i mean it's crazy because she obviously in, in like greece too she's so young and and playing such a very specific kind of like youth mm -hmm. and then we've kind of followed her pretty steadily into her current um depiction where she's playing like moms and mm -hmm. like older women 
Um, but I wonder, I mean, she's got a staying power and I feel like she's not ever really gone anywhere. It doesn't seem like she's going anywhere. And I'm wondering if she'll continue on into being kind of like a, that kind of like grand dame kind of mm. character. I would love to see her in more musicals, but yeah. I mean, her in Hairspray, she was she's great in Hairspray. Unbelievable yeah. in Hairspray. I, I am the biggest Hairspray movie apologist you will ever meet. Um, but I love that movie, movie, too. I have to say, I, I, I know some people poo-poo it. Actually, that's the John Travolta connection here, too, weirdly enough. Michelle Piper, John Travolta, hello. Yeah, I think it's a great ad- adaptation of that musical, too. Okay, that's what we're going to do. Uh, Dave and I are going to go thank some sponsors. Uh, Matthew, we've left out some snacks here for you, so you can peruse those uh, as you, as you yeah, like. Just keep your mask on. Yeah, just keep your mask yeah, on. Yeah, that's right. Keep your mask on. <laughs> and then uh, we'll be back here in a few minutes. That's probably not in the actual recording of the episode, so no one will have a clue what we're talking about. Dave, correct me if I'm wrong, you were also a beauty school dropout, right? Well, if by beauty school you meant that I sat in a chair Mm -hmm. on the side of the road asking people if they would cut my hair, then yes. And you weren't talking about the hair on your head, which makes it even weirder, so. It's all fair game. (laughs) Yeah, it's all fair game. Well, we're here in the ad segment, which I'm sure all of our sponsors are so happy with, uh, but we do each and every week. Keep it clean. We're t- just talking about pubic hair. It's fine. Oh, yeah. um, you no, were. It's, it's keep it clean. Listen, Kyle and Dave vs. the Machine is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. The Alberta Podcast Network promotes and supports Alberta-made podcasts and connects their audiences with Alberta-based businesses and organizations. Dave, I would love to tell you about one of those Alberta-based businesses and or organizations. I would love to hear about an Alberta-based business and or organization. I have 17 windows open, so let me try and find what I was looking for. (laughs) Uh, Okay. I'm ready. Dave, I want to talk to you about Park Power. Mm Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, what it lets me know was updated on September 14th of 2021. So we're right up to the minute here of... Of this ad copy. We're getting there. This episode is brought to you by Park Power, your friendly local utilities provider that also fights crime. But in Alberta, offering internet, electricity, and natural gas with low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing with local charities. Uh, You know, in Alberta, you get to choose who to buy your internet, electricity, and natural gas from. If you choose Park Power, you are choosing a positive local business. Plus, Park Power shares its profits with local not-for-profits that are working to make a difference for their communities. Shopping local is very important to Park Power's owner, Chris Kozowski, and we, the royal we here, Mm. love local Mm -hmm. at the Alberta Mm -hmm. Podcast Network, so it's a great fit. Learn more at parkpower.ca. So uh, I guess I'm supposed to talk about Park uh, Park Power. I'm supposed to talk about... No, you're not. I did that already. APN? Mm -hmm. So uh, that's... Our group of podcast people, but since I'm suffering from a COVID aftershock, I'm going to let this podcast talk about themselves. Great. Yeah. yeah I'm, thanks yeah, for that. I'm gonna Good messaging. It's going to be great. Uh, okay. Great. Um, <laughs> it's not the first time you said that. Okay. Three, two, one. Hi, friends. Caitlin and Shanika here from Get Checkered. We are your favorite female co hosted Formula One podcast based out of Calgary, Alberta. Join us weekly as we share our hot takes on the Formula One world with a little bit of sass. Catch the podcast on any streaming service by searching Get Checkered. Whether you're a casual fan or an enthusiast, we, we hope, hope you enjoy, enjoy the ride. We have sat down, we have watched Grease 2. 
And now comes the reckoning. Matthew, the last time you were here, we talked about Harold and Maude. And that would go on to be Dave and I's favorite film of that season. So of 1971, that was our number one rated film. And I'm sure it's going to happen again today. (laughs) So, Matthew, what was your uh, feelings of watching Grease 2? Okay, when I watched Grease 2 for the very first time, I think I was making latkes in my kitchen and like... (laughs) Like my roommate yeah. put it on Specific. while I was cooking and I just became very like engrossed in it very quickly. Not because it was good, but because it's ridiculous. And I think it's the kind of thing that I think everyone should see because it's, it is fun, but you have to be ready for it to not be good. Mm-hmm. And I think there's space for both of those things. So I don't think anyone, I can never say it's like an amazing film, but it's a fun time. Definitely give it a one. Yeah. Like I know that there's always that talk of films that are so bad. They're good. I don't, however you want to like frame that question or <laughs> give that qualifier. Right. I think everyone has, has a different uh, set of rubrics that they do for that. I'm kind of on board with you. I think there's a lot of stuff here to like, but before I get into talking about what I enjoyed, Dave, why don't you rip this a new one? Cause I know you hated it. <laughs> Well, it's not much to talk about. It's fucking terrible. There's nothing redeeming about it. And uh, I mean, Michelle Pfeiffer makes it watchable because even with such a dumb character, there's just something about her where you're interested. Like she's clearly the only non-Broadway trained dancer, but there's something about when she dances that seems so earnest. She's not Mm -hmm. properly professionally vocally trained to sing, but when she sings, you can tell it's actually her. It's not overdubbed. And it's weird, right? Because anytime she's on the screen, you're like, okay, you know what? I don't have to turn this shit off and save myself. Like uh, we coast through the next five minutes. I don't know. It's just, it's, it felt insulting to me because, uh, and Kyle knows this more, uh, Matthew, but I just, I don't understand camp. I don't watch horror movies and I, I just don't appreciate that at that level unless it's like, well, I don't know, like really dumb comedies, you know, like the Adam Sandler generation where they're just so fucking inane and lowbrow that like, I can't watch Billy Madison anymore. But when I was 18, I thought that was funny. I don't know. I just, I couldn't, I couldn't, I just couldn't. And uh, right. yeah. <laughs> Kyle, you brought up recently that Grease 2 is one of two sequels that you can think of that were stage musicals first, then became movies, then became a sequel, Mamma Mia 2 being the second. Correct. I describe Mamma I genuinely like Mamma Mia 2 as crazy as it is, but I describe it as a perfect two glass of rosé movie. Um, Like if you have two drinks and go see it, which I did twice in (laughs) theaters, It's a great time. And I think Grease 2 is like, all right. So I, I last night I saw X in the theaters. The theater was really quiet. We took it very seriously. And kind of like three-fourths of the way into the movie, I think everyone kind of realized there was no hope for the movie and it was going to be bad. So like when ridiculous things happened, the theater started laughing. And right. when silly, like the people behind me were clearly drinking and like whatever. I think it's the kind of thing where if you go in with, low bar and you're allowed to react the way that you want to react you can have fun with it and with Mamma Mia 2 I mean I was hooting and hollering like it was the fucking Super Bowl so um Grease 2 I don't know if I was hooting and hollering but like it's ridiculous and like if you just go with it Yeah, I, just let it happen. Like, like generally, I agree. Let like, it happen. <laughs> let it let grief wash just, over you. Yeah, I was gonna say, just wash over you. Like, 
this is my opinion. Like, I think to use the Mamma Mia example again, I think the first Mamma Mia movie is actually legitimately a good movie. Oh, it's and great. I think Mamma Mia 2 is like, it's good with an asterisk next to it. Like, you have to kind of go in knowing that this is bonkers. Okay, this is going to be a bonkers yeah. movie that they decided to make a sequel to this movie. Bring on Mamma Mia 3. I do. I do. I do. I do. I do. And I think maybe because this was the first time I've ever watched Grease 2. I remember seeing this on like the rental shelves of like a blockbuster and be like, they made a sequel to Grease that no one talks about. Mm-hmm. And I definitely know For that there's reason. been this somewhat of a resurgence in like the last few years as far as like the music from Grease 2 kind of being reevaluated yeah. and being like, there's some good stuff in here that we should probably talk about, even if the movie itself cool is not as good. Yeah. yeah, cool writer. But again, Michelle Pfeiffer, one song. She did her own stunts in this movie. I don't know That's if there's true. an opportunity for me to say that naturally in conversation. No, but... stress. Michelle Pfeiffer did her That's own stunts. That's not surprising, right? Michelle, Michelle Pfeiffer is a badass. If you know anything about, if you, going back to Batman, there's a scene in mm-hmm. her Batman where she takes and whips the candles. She did that oh. actually in one take. It's actually whipped She's all the an candles Android, out. Man. Just... This is not Grease 2, but when I tell you that my favorite movie is Michelle Pfeiffer's Instagram, I... <laughs> I have in the past two years regularly fallen down the rabbit hole of like going through Michelle Pfeiffer's Instagram and just amazing. The way she, so she has a perfume company now called Henry Rose, which I genuinely really love and mm-hmm. support, but she also like talks about scents a lot and she's just like, it's basically ASMR. It's very just like <laughs> interesting and nice to listen to her describe scents and fragrances and the thought that she puts into her company. But then like that, her describing a perfume is then intercut with her present day standing in her own backyard with her Catwoman whip whipping because she knows how to do it. Like does it. it's intercut. And I'm oh like, God. what a perfect content, perfect content. This is like performance art to the next level. This is why they won't give her an award. Her life, her life is already an achievement. And they're just like, she will get you a don't lifetime an yeah. award if I have to give it to her myself. She, she's so cool. Um, she's so good. So that's to say, I have always had it built up in my mind that Grease 2 is like among the worst movies ever made. And I think you get to a certain level where you're expecting something and you just don't get it. And maybe if I was alive in 1982 and I went and saw this in theaters, I'd be completely disappointed and hate it. Like in the same way that when I went and saw the movie of Cats, it was like, I need to keep watching this because I think it's so awful, but I have to see how awful it gets. And so, I, I, like, I don't actually like that movie. And with this movie, there was a bit of charm that actually rubbed off on me by the end of it, where it's like, yeah, it's not good. Like, I'm not here to argue that this is a good movie, but did I enjoy watching it? Yes, I did. I had a great fun watching this movie. There's a thing that I want to say. When we talked about it with Mamma Mia, and I'm going to say it with Cats, and let's probably mm. say it with Grease and Grease 2. Mamma Mia 2 was not made to be good by everyone's standards. It was made to be good for fans of Mamma Mia. Yes. And Cats the movie was not made to be good for everyone. It was made to be enjoyed by fans of the musical Cats, which I don't know why there are fans of musical (laughs) Cats, but there apparently are. They exist somewhere in the world. So I wonder... If someone is a huge, huge, huge fan of Greece mm. and okay still with the fact that none of the characters, except for Frenchy, a couple, two, Frenchy yeah. and yeah. maybe like one or two other people. Oh, and the principal, yeah. Are, yeah, the principal, everyone's favorite character in Greece. So if you're a huge <laughs> yeah. fan of Greece 
and okay with no one coming back. I wonder, and I mean specifically Grease the movie, not Grease mm-hmm. the stage play or stage adaptation be, or because or stage production, because of course they're different. I wonder if Grease 2 is a time for you. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. But I, I've also noticed, this is just a, a thing for me. I think I tend to just like... Dumb movies. Uh, well, I'm going to say like <laughs> peculiar movies in that like why was this made in the first place? I, and I, I, I kind of know the reason why Grease 2 was made, but have either of you ever seen Return to Oz by any chance? Yes. No, but I've been tempted to watch it because I'm a huge fan of Sufjan Stevens. Yes. And his most recent album is all about it. Like, or he talks about it, isn't he? inspired by it. <laughs> like, specifically Return to Oz. Yeah, Return to Oz, I am like the biggest apologist for it, probably because I saw it at the right age. Like, is it also a good movie? No. Probably not, but it's no, fucking sorry. good. I don't know. Like, I just enjoy watching Return to Oz. It's every bizarre choice, and the kind of villains in that are these things called the Wheelers. Terrifying sure. when you're a kid. Like, absolutely terrifying. Anyways, there's there's a charm to it there, and I think that that is somewhat similar here, where it's like, you're going to make a sequel to The Wizard of Oz 55 years after it was made, and this is like, you're going to make a sequel to Grease with none of the original cast, not the original of, of songwriters right. and no one of the same production team and just push it out with a cast of unknowns okay Does have the same any of the same characters no or is it just it's just the world uh not even it's like a apocalyptic oz yeah like like uh-huh. dorothy te- uh-huh. like dorothy dorothy is technically the same of course <laughs> not played by judy garland in 1985 but uh uh-huh. but uh yeah all original characters they're going like deep deep into like Wizard of Oz lore, because if you don't know, there was like 15 books right. written about that. There are. <laughs> There's a lot of them. Um, anyways, Return to Oz. I want to talk about that someday because it's bonkers. So Speaking bonkers. Of Judy Garland. She's going to come up in our background. Too. Actually, yeah, Judy Garland uh, connection in this movie as well because her daughter's in it. Yes, there is a Judy Garland connection. Um, I, so one of my best friends is also very into like horror, and I told him that I saw X last mm-hmm. night. And he was like, oh my God, I heard really good things. Really excited. What did you think? And I said something that will lead me to several <laughs> points that will get degrees too. But um, I was like, I tend to pride myself as like a viewer on being, even if I really don't like what the thing is, I can appreciate it for understanding what it, what it wants to be or what it's trying to be. Right. So like, a thing that I really love that a lot of people don't, and Kyle, I believe you and I have spoken about it before, the movie Down With Love. Oh my God, yes. I love, I that, love movie. that movie. I love that movie. And I've shown it to friends who really don't like it. And I was like, you have to, if you understand what Down With Love is trying to be, which is exactly what it is. Like, I think it's masterful in in what it was trying to execute. Yeah. It's basically like a huge throwback to like a 50s is sex that the Ewan McGregor? thing. Yeah. yeah. Ewan McGregor and, and Renee Zellweger. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Ewan McGregor, That's a good... by the way. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Right yeah. now and today. That was good. Um, my time. It's Ewan McGregor's birthday. Um, I think it's really, really well executed and also just really enjoyable. But if you're not, if you're not on board with what it's trying to do, it might just not be your kind of movie. But the... And X was super not, in my mind, effective in what it was trying to be or any version. And I think Grease 2 
I don't know. Like, yeah. Well, this is also my, 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 I'm not saying this is what you're saying, Dave. I just want to be very clear. I'm not saying this is what your argument is, but it's also my frustration when people use like, this isn't realistic as a criticism. And it's like, well, it's no. a musical. It's not trying to be realistic. Like, you know, in that, in that sort of sense or in whatever type of movie we're talking about, Down With Love, another good example. It's like, they're not acting like real people. It's like, well, they're not real people. They're not supposed to be acting like real people. Down With Love. So that's the one with Holly Hunter in it as well, right? Renee no. Zellweger. No, isn't that the one with like angels or isn't there something? Sarah Paulson, um, Renee Zellweger, Ewan McGregor, uh, David Hyde Pierce. <laughs> yes, David Hyde um, No, there's a difference between quirky or uh, eccentric stories, filmmaking, etc., and and shit. And this movie is shit. <laughs> yeah, and I think like I I think. You have a better approach, Matthew and Kyle. Kyle. I just make fun of Kyle for being an apologist of trying to be measured and trying to kind of like get in the seat of either the writer or the director or whoever whoever failed in it and kind of just <laughs> uh, feel some empathy for them. And I, I can't for the most part, unless it's intentional. And, you know, if it's meant to pantomime, like if this was meant to be a sarcastic response to Greece and like make fun of itself, that's one thing. But yeah, I don't I think that that's what this was. This was, I agree. you know, just trying to jump on, uh, jump on what they thought made the first one popular and they failed. It's a money it. grab. I mean, Greece 2, oh, we got to be honest, it was a money grab. And the reason that it was what it was, was because Olivia Newton-John, John Travolta didn't want to sign on. None of the original cast wanted to sign on. They changed the plot like several times while yes. filming the movie. Like it was solely a money grab. And I, it's my least favorite kind of media, which is just like straightforward money grab media. Um, but I also think too, like theater in itself is not a money-making venture. Mm. So Grease being a huge hit as a stage production and then becoming a huge movie musical was rare. And then I think they looked at Grease as like a franchise. I think if Greece 2 was a success, we'd have Greece 4, 5, 6 by now, you know, yes. like it's, I, I they already had Greece 3 in the in the chamber. They were going to do a Greece oh, 3 until 100%. this one underperformed. Uh, we'll come back to this at the very end, but apparently there's supposed to be a prequel series coming out of Greece here at some point soon too. So it's like they are trying to make this be a thing. Here's the pauses I'm going to throw at this movie though, and this is the part that Dave doesn't want to hear. I think personally that this film is directed and choreographed very well and way better than the first one even. I I'm going to go so far as to say that. Now, that is partly due to uh, Patricia Birch. She was the choreographer of the first Grease and on stage. She was also the choreographer who directed this film. I think she has a very interesting eye and I think she I like how she frames different scenes. It's actually much more cinematic than I think what the original Grease even is. So I give it props for at least trying to do something interesting visually with this. Again, whether you like the music or the performances in a different conversation, but I do think it's actually directed very well. Apologist. Yeah. Apologist. You're wrong. So that's fine. You know. I also think it's really, really difficult to direct a good movie musical. Mm -hmm. I think I, I mean, I'm looking forward to seeing West Side Story. Haven't seen it. Yeah. Michelle Pfeiffer should have played Tony. I mean, my biggest criticism of most every movie, movie musical I've seen is that it's framed wrong. Mm -hmm. Like yes. Into the Woods, the Into the Woods adaptation, I had no issues with performances. I thought everyone was perfectly fine. Um, I thought the the staging and or, or rather like the the production design was 
fine and interesting and whatever, whatever. But my biggest problems with it, I mean, there were like one plot change. There was like one or two plot changes that I was like, why did you do that? My biggest problem with it was that Into the Woods is a ensemble piece that is, is the importance is these characters feeling small in the woods and the entire direction was like these really intense close-ups and Les yes. Mis was a similar thing. And the, the, as good as the Les Mis movie is, which is, you know, I think like it varies depending on who you talk to, but like the scale of Les Mis is what makes it impressive as a stage musical. And I think similar to Into the Woods. So like with these ensemble pieces where the set is incredibly important and like the scale of it is incredibly important, you have to do a wide shot that like really shows like the entire cast and shows what people are doing. And I think it's really, it works against like the instincts of modern day cinema and like directing to, to be like, just, just pull out and let us watch for a little bit because that's valuable. Dave has heard me go on this rant so many times about how much I dislike how most modern movie musicals are captured. And I feel so bad for my friend Jen, who went and saw Into the Woods with me, and I just complained about that the entire <laughs> drive home. I was like, why did they frame it like this? It doesn't make any sense. Why were they doing so many close-ups? Um, but it is. It's a recurring problem. It's like, let me see the dancers. I think that's partly the issue, is that so many, I'm talking modern in like the last 15, 20 years, are like embarrassed yeah. to be musicals. It's like, no, just let me see the dancing, and let me see them do their thing. That's what I'm coming here for. I mean, as ridiculous as Cats was, I mean, yeah. I will say the other thing, too, which is that the reason there's so many close-ups is because a lot of the people they cast can't dance. Right. Correct. And like, <laughs> if we're going to spend millions and millions of dollars filming, I don't know, let's say James Corden. I mean, not that James Corden can't dance. I've seen him mm-hmm. on stage actually in One Man, Two Governors. One Man, Two Governors. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Um, and he was delightful. Like, he's a really good performer. But mm-hmm. like, just my example here. No shade to James. Um, <laughs> but like, if you're spending millions and millions of dollars booking him and filming him and like whatever or taylor swift or rebel wilson or whatever like you want to like get what you need which is their face so of course if you need a cute shot of them tap dancing you're going to film their feet later and if they can't do it you're (laughs) going to film a tap dancer like whatever you need i will say the biggest failure of cats was probably that they cgi'd most of the movie so that really it kind of just looked like they were putting Taylor Swift's face on anything, but like, yeah. I think really just let us enjoy how talented people are and Greece too. I don't know if you'd say that people were super talented, but like, let, let well, there, there are a couple of Broadway performers in the cast. We should, mm-hmm. we should point out the, the leader of the, the greasers. Uh, let me see his name. Uh, Adrian, Adrian Zamed, Zamed. Yeah. was actually Danny in a, one of the Broadway revivals of Greece too. So like he, he had Broadway chops. I actually really like his singing voice too. I think he's actually really good. Let's do some backstory here first, and then we can <laughs> wrap up our discussion. This movie, Greece two opened up on June 11th, 1982. Here's his current ratings on letterboxd. It is rated 2.3 out of five Pretty high. on IMDB. It is rated 4.5 out of 10. Also it has high. a 52 on Metacritic and on Rotten Tomatoes. Very high. No critics or users have rated it, so I don't know. Oh, uh, that's rare. It actually. is available. It is available on DVD. I could not find a Blu-ray copy of this movie, but you can buy or rent it on iTunes and on YouTube. And as far as I can see, you can stream it on Paramount Plus. Uh, its budget was eleven point two million dollars. 
it made $15.2 million, or adjusted for inflation, that's about $44 million. We'll see why that was such a big disappointment here in just a couple of minutes. But yeah, vastly, vastly underperformed what they thought it was going to be. Its plot description is, a British student at a 1960s American high school must prove himself to the leader of a girl's gang whose members can only date greasers. Matthew, since the last time you were on, we have developed this new segment called Guess That Tag. This is when I don my favorite game show host blazer. I had like the long microphone Bob Barker used to use. And you're probably familiar with the fact that when you go to a movie theater, you can see the posters they are up on the wall and they'll often have something called a tagline, something to entice you to go and see the movie. So I need you to guess. And then Dave can have a guess here too. There's three options I'm going to give you. One of these is the actual tagline that was on the poster for Grease 2. The other two are complete figments of my imagination. So do you think... The tagline for Grease 2 was, you're the one that I want. Is it, the music and feeling go on forever? Or is it three, who's that cool writer? What do you think the tagline to this movie was? I feel like the, hmm, what was the second option? What was the second option? The second option is, the music and feeling go on forever. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. I think actually genuinely probably the better tagline would be three, who's that cool writer? But then no one would know what that means. <laughs> right. Because they haven't seen the movie. So my guess is probably one because it's probably drawing on the Grease crowd. But then that makes me think that it's two because it doesn't make sense much like... I am playing three level chess. Or 3D I feel, level I feel chess like we're in the Princess I Bride. I get it. Yeah. Uh, Dave, do you have a do you have a guess? Uh, what was the first one again? I, I laughed at the first one. You're the one that so I want. Oh, is yeah. number one. Which they don't sing. Which they don't say in the one. I'm gonna go with three because uh, it doesn't matter. Yeah. I'm standing firmly <laughs> by one. one you're guessing guess. one, Dave is guessing three. Number two is the actual tagline. Oh, so both of you it. are wrong. Mm, the mm. music and feeling go on forever. Like it's probably two because it doesn't make sense. Right. It doesn't make None sense. None of them actually make any sense. Yeah. If you want to throw, well, <laughs> if you want to throw the whole series under the bus here, though, let me just pull this up because the tagline for the original Greece is he was in Greece. What? What a fucking stupid tagline. He was in Greece? <laughs> he was in Greece. That is what the tagline for the original Greece movie is. I read them like, that has to be a mistake. What, what a dumb what tagline. What does that even Anyways, mean? That's, okay. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Anyways, well, this is starring Maxwell Caulfield as Michael Carrington, Michelle Pfeiffer as Stephanie Zanoni, Adrian Zamed as Johnny Nogarelli, uh, Christopher McDonald as Goose McKenzie, Maureen Teffy as Sharon Cooper, and of course, Lorna Luft as Paula Rebchuk. Or sorry, Rebchuk. Anything we want to say about any of these actors? I mean, I we've talked about Michelle Pfeiffer. Maxwell Caulfield, right? That's his form. Yeah. He and Michelle apparently did not get along. Oh, well, you film. can tell. And uh, that was exacerbated by the fact that after filming, he was kind of blacklisted for doing Grease 2. And Michelle oh. went on, well, not blacklisted, but like couldn't get a he job. was in a flop and couldn't get a job. And Michelle went on to do Scarface and all these incredible all the things. Stuff. Well, it's interesting, too, because he was apparently picked out from uh, from Broadway. Like he was on yeah. in The Elephant Stage Man performer. and something else like they really liked him. And that's why they pulled him into this into this movie in the first place. He was place, also but... the hottest 
person in that movie. <laughs> he didn't. I don't even know True. why he wore a shirt the first time he came yeah, down like, with this thing fucking open to his belly button. <laughs> I'm like, like, why even wear a jacket? I was like, this person's supposed to be the big nerd. <laughs> I know. I the know. interesting thing about him is uh, he was born in England, but his stepfather was American, and it, this is how he became. I got his green card to come and act in America, but. When he was 15, he got kicked out of the house. And do you know what he uh, did for money when he was a teenager? He was an exotic dancer. Go figure. Oh, okay. Yeah, oh, you can that. see it. You can see it. Get those gold underwear on. But yeah. he's still out there. He's still on stage. I, I mean, just quickly, I have this like 50 paragraph thing on Michelle Pfeiffer, so I won't read it. But just quickly on being blacklisted, she actually uh, was kind of gray listed for this movie as well. But uh, she got Scarface because the producer, Brian De Palma, refused to even let her audition because he was like, Grease mm -hmm. 2 is like, like she should never act again. And it was the producer mm -hmm. that insisted and she actually got the screen test. So she actually got saved essentially by a relationship. Right. Uh, otherwise, she would have never uh, saw well, even again, like the so. audition for Grease 2 is interesting because I saw a YouTube video of her describing this about how she kind of just didn't leave the audition room. She just kept going in uh, from the front to the back of the chorus lines and eventually they were like, okay, fine. Just come just on. Give her She's yeah, give her a uh, shot. Debbie Harry was asked to play that role and which is kind of funny because I feel like they have a very similar look yeah. at the time. Like, but Debbie Harry was like, I'm too old to play this part. <laughs> Which is hilarious considering the history of Greece. I know. Um, like, Harry today, like almost um, forty year olds in Greece. Yeah. So I was like, Debbie Harry today will be in the Greece series. Mark my word. The only other thing about uh, Michelle Pfeiffer is apparently when she was up and coming, she she got taken in by a cult. Did you know that? Uh, yes, just before I she got cast. Talk about this. Yeah. So apparently it was some transcendental vegetarian cult, and they actually took control of her, essentially stewardship and her money. Yeah, and then this movie happened, but that's fucking weird. I think what's interesting too about both Greece films is that they put like I, I don't know if you call them famous, but like very well known people into like very bit roles. Like you have Tab Hunter, for instance, in this movie. I was just about to say Tab Hunter is a substitute teacher. Yeah, this is really in there, and like uh, you do have Sid Caesar in both films. Um, God, there's someone else in the first one. I'm forgetting, but like they have these interesting people that just show up for like two minutes to. to, to to do their thing and of course we just say like Lorna Luff never really had much of a film career but like is the daughter of Judy Garland half sisters crazy. of Liza Minnelli so yeah I didn't even know that until I started looking into her and I was like holy shit I didn't know she was in this film to be honest but I, I saw her I'm like she looks so familiar why do I know who this is and then I had to look it up I'm like oh that's why. That's why I know who this is. She should get her own TV special called Lorna with an N. A thing that I didn't remember until this exact moment was that so I, I I don't know if you know this. Um, so I used to work in politics. You were the young Republicans. Yeah, I was. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I briefly worked in politics. And one of the people that we had come in is kind of like a celeb, not cameo, but like someone yeah, yeah. to pop by was Shana Na. Like, 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 was, Amazing. Was, what uh, I can't remember his Donald Donald York maybe no, I don't care I can't I remember. remember who's in Sha but yeah they're in the first film right someone from Shanana from Greece and it, he just like kept playing songs from Greece and like <laughs> very and he had like a little keyboard and I was just like really so weird sad. really weird time <laughs> I I just it was a great memory that just clicked into my head I love that though because I feel I've had those moments every so often where it's like you have this sudden realization it's like 
it's very weird what's happening right now, right? Like I'm standing yeah. here and Sean and I is playing music from Greece. Like what is happening? It was very strange. It was in like a room not much bigger than the one I'm in. Like <laughs> it was like very like I was like, oh okay, we're just gonna hang out. And Super awkward. You're just gonna talk about being in Greece. <laughs> the um, uh, cinematography was by a guy named Frank Stanley. His top three other films besides Greece Two is Magnum Force. Nice. Which I forget if is the sequel or the third film in the uh, Dirty Harry Dirty series. Harry. Mm -hmm. The Iger Sanction, and then 1941, the really bad uh, Steven Spielberg movie he made after Jaws. It's written by Ken Finkelman, based on characters created by Jim Jacobs and Warren Casey, and directed by Patricia Birch. Did you know Ken Finkelman's Canadian? Yes, I was going to bring that up here mm. in a moment. And we're actually going to talk about him again in a future episode, but we'll, uh, we'll leave that for the time being. For those of you listening... And you haven't seen this, just a quick little refresh, a super quick recap of the original Greece um, and its history. So it takes its name from the 1950s subculture of greasers. These two guys by the name of Jim Jacobs and Warren Casey come together, write a musical that's a throwback to the 1950s and some of the music that they loved. Uh, also, they claim is an inversion of 50s films where it's like the rough and tumble lead actor would become more sensitive to fall in love with the woman. In Greece, it's kind of the opposite way around is what they wanted to structure it as. It actually started as a Chicago nightclub act that <laughs> Greece did. We didn't get a, like a book added to it and, and finally debut in 1971 on Broadway, which is a very weird Broadway year if you look it up. I'm not going to go into that weirdness right now. But, uh, did not win Best Musical that year, but it was a smash hit. It would eventually close that original production in 1980 after 3,388 performances and would be the longest running Broadway musical of all time until a chorus line overtook it about three years later. In 1978, it gets adapted into a movie starring John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John. They do change, uh, we've kind of talked about this, they change some of the people's names, some of the plot structure gets moved around, they add and remove some songs. Uh, Hopelessly Devoted to You is the big one that they added into the movie. The film, of course, is a huge smash. It would be the number two film at the box office in 1978. It only made $2 million less than Superman. Like, it was bank like it made so much money the soundtrack to it was the top selling album of that year um so yes the studio wanted to capitalize on this so the producer alan carr had this guarantee of five million dollars if he started making a sequel to greece within three years of the original so of course he wants to fast track this of course both um olivia newton john and john travolta don't want to come back but he hires patricia birch who is the choreographer of the original greece here's my sondheim connection i always have to bring up she was also the choreographer of a little night music and pacific overtures in the 70s that he did very different choreo <laughs> yes <laughs> um she agrees to come on kind of reluctantly but she does agree to do it ken finkelman yes is a canadian comic who was hired to write this because the screenwriter for the Grease movie had tragically died. So he comes in because he was also writing and directing Airplane 2 at the time, and he was kind of just given the opportunity to do this movie. Here's my little fun fact. Did you read up on who he was DJs with, mm -hmm. Dave? Yeah, Rick, Rick Moranis. Moranis. That's right. Out in Toronto, him and Rick Moranis had, apparently were DJs on the same I channel. Just, I just rewatched Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, and it holds up. Yeah, it holds Good up very know. well. Yeah. I have... My favorite piece of memorabilia right there. Time Magazine page from... Little Shop of Horrors, right? Horrors ah, nice. On <laughs> He's incredible. Ellen Green is also someone who I love, by the way. I should I should point that out. Oh, well, did you end up watching... I, I forget. 
I can't remember if I recommended it to you or if I talked about it and then you were oh, like, Oh, Pushing yes, Daisies? Pushing Daisies. Ellen it's Green one of my all time, like it's probably in my top 10 favorite shows of all time. That's She's actually, so that show was pitched to me by my aunt before I watch it. And she goes, Ellen Green and Kristen Chenoweth sing a They Might Be Giants song. Yeah. And I went, how do I watch it? How fast can I see it? I was like, sign Inject me it up. right now. Put it in me. It is obnoxious how many times I rewatched that scene when it first came out. I love it so much. I listened to that song because they put out the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Ellen Green. Anyway, continue. Yeah. Miranda. <laughs> um, I just wanted to mention, so the composer of this movie was this guy named Louis St. Louis or Louis St. Louis. I don't know, but who had written some of the songs for the stage show of Greece. Most of those songs have actually been cut from the movie version, but he came back and kind of into the songs for this one uh, because of the inability to get the original cast back. We kind of already mentioned this. They basically changed the plot to this multiple times because they did originally want to have uh, Sandy and Danny come back. Then they thought, OK, well, maybe let's focus on Rizzo and her going to summer school. But Stalker Channing didn't want to come back because she left Hollywood actually at this point. She actually quit the business for a bit. So they kind of eventually settle on this, where it's like, there's new characters. One is the, because he's the cousin of Sandy, right? That's the, the setup to this movie, I think. Who cares? And then uh, they had originally actually cast someone else in the lead role of the guy. Uh, Timothy Hutton was originally supposed to be the guy in here. Um, and then when they found Max, they said, no, we need Maxwell Caulfield in this role. Only he can fulfill this this character. No huge gossip that I could find during the making of this film. Although, as we said, it vastly underperformed. Like, you have... The first movie that makes like $140 million in 1978 money. And this, like most sequels, you basically guarantee are going to make at least half of what the original made. And like it didn't didn't even break a quarter or a fifth of what that original movie made. But still, there was plans to have a third Grease film. Of course, that didn't come to fruition. This movie, I found out here today, was eventually adapted into a Broadway show called Cool Rider. So they changed the name from Grease 2 to something called Cool Rider, put the songs in, reworked the plot a bit, but it became a Broadway show. And uh, as of 2019, there is talk about creating a prequel to the original Grease film called Summer Lovin' that would be on Paramount+, Plus. but we'll see if that ever Please comes God. to fruition. I, I doubt do it's it. going to be a thing. I also heard a rumor that they, were, they wanted to do a show focused on the Pink Ladies, but I don't know. Yeah, I, that's the one that I had heard of. I hadn't yeah. heard of... I had not heard of Summer Lovin', and I'll be honest, to me, that seems like something that they toss out to see if people would be interested. It's a hard now. It's a, <laughs> none, none of this is going to work. Can I ask a question? Uh, me? Yes. To, to all of the above, what is your favorite sequel? Because I feel oh, like sequels wow. are like, you're setting up for failure. I think it's very rare to have a sequel, and I'm going to put one caveat here. You can't say Toy Story 2, and you can't say Paddington too. Paddington is very good. They are because yeah. I think those are two movies. That yeah, Paddington is great. They're both great people. But I think like Empire Strikes Back. Very, you say? Empire Strikes Back is the sure. better of the Star okay. Wars films. But would you say that's a sequel, or would you say that's part of a franchise? That's a good question. A sequel. Yeah. What? Plotting out something that's sequel. that's like supposed to be a couple movies is okay that's fair that's a fair thing okay sequel Mm -hmm. sequel apparently they're making aladdin 2 so disney can go fuck themselves yeah guy rich is coming back like that though it's depressing um oh i i would probably say this i don't know i feel there should be a better answer than this like it it was never the first one was never made to be 
yeah, franchise, yeah. even though it became a franchise, which is Aliens. I think it, the, the mm, second yeah. Aliens movie is great. Aliens is good. Rocky? If I wanted to like put up my like super nerd glasses and go like old school Hollywood, Bride of Frankenstein is great. I think it's actually better than the first Frankenstein movie. <laughs> but if I want to go like super old school. Is that technically a sequel or is it just a new story? Oh, it is interesting. Yeah, they did not think the first Frankenstein movie was going to be <laughs> received as well as it did. Yeah, I don't know. Recently, it's you know what's weird is that Hollywood now has become so derivative that everything feels like a sequel. Like they can't let a property yeah. breathe. So, I mean, are all Marvel movies sequels in a sense? I, I don't know. It's just a it's a mess now. What's an? I forget what episode it was, but this is my newest biggest complaint: is like every movie seems to have to set up a sequel. Yeah, and so they don't ever like wrap up the movie, <laughs> and I get so frustrated by this. Just wrap up your movie. Stop setting I up really sequels. Love- the move. I mean, I think I said this even last time I spoke to you guys, but horror for a really long time, I, I was really, I really discounted as a genre because I feel like it's set up to create bad sequels mm-hmm. and then yeah. they have a bad sequel and they just keep putting out bad sequels. And I think there are people who love that. Kyle, and, and Kyle Marshall. That. Yeah. Actually, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I honestly, the, I'm a huge fan of like the original Halloween movie. It's one of my favorites. Right. Oh, but yeah, there are there are some of those deep sequels like six, five, and six that are so dog shit bad. Like I hate them. Yeah. I don't know if you saw Happy Death Day. I have not. I, loved, no. I loved that movie, and it's really fun. It's it's the kind of like good horror comedy that like it's fun and interesting and a little different, but still referential and like not so different that you're like losing your mind. And then they made a sequel and I was like, it was, I mean, when I tell you like highly anticipated, like, <laughs> I was like so excited for it. And they really, in my opinion, there are people who fucking love it, but I thought they really ruined it <laughs> because it was the kind of sequel. They were like, let's do something different and, and try to like, build off of the first one and it just fell so flat i would love at some point to have like such a deep dive with you about the scream franchise because that's something i could really delve into because i think some of those sequels are actually really well done and really well conceived the entirety of the franchise yeah and i say that someone who recognizes that there are deep flaws but like the flaws in my mind are fun like yeah, we could absolutely get into it. But when I was thinking about, see, I didn't have an answer locked and loaded, which I usually do when I ask any mm-hmm. question because I'm a narcissist. But like, I asked, and I was immediately like, I think my answer was Paddington too. And then I kind of ruled that out for myself. But mm-hmm. I was like, would I say any of the Scream movies? Because mm-hmm. like, those are good. They're good sequels. They yeah. really are. Not to go into too far of a tangent of Paddington specifically. It's just, I'm so excited for that third one that's getting made here right now. Because like, I watched the first one, loved, really enjoyed it. Then I watched the second one, like, how do you make a Stone Cold masterpiece out of a stupid bear in this so stupid nice. raincoat? I don't get okay. it. Why this is so stupid good? about him? He's- I'm very torn <laughs> if I want Paddington 3 to be like the Paddington trilogy and bring back, bring back Hugh Grant, bring right. back Nicole, Nicole Kidman. Kidman make them love interests and then and then have introduce a third character yeah. and make them a trio and i'm just gonna say elizabeth hurley Ooh. posted a photo of herself making marmalade and hugh grant mm. retweeted it and said paddington three and i haven't been able to stop thinking of an elizabeth hurley paddington three villain since mm. though i would also take a call in for I would take Colin Firth as a Paddington 3 villain, Elizabeth Hurley as a Paddington 3 villain, but that's kind of like the end of my list. 
Though I would also accept Hugh Grant and Nicole Kidman coming together. As long as there is another musical sequence at the end, I'm kind of sold. Like, give me the biggest musical you you can think of. They should bring in uh, Michelle Pfeiffer. Oh, That would be a good pick, actually. Oh, yes. Give me, you know, who would be really good in the Paddington 3? She might be a little too, actually, no, she'd do it. Olivia Coleman would do it. Oh, Olivia Coleman would be like a slam dunk. Olivia Coleman would be a great Paddington 3 character. Sign me up. Oh, I'm so excited. I am just so excited that we spent the majority of our time on Grease 2 not talking about Grease 2. There's nothing as to it talk probably about. Be. I there's mean, literally the nothing to talk about. I, I, I fully recommend there's not much to talk about in this movie other than did you like it or not. I am of the opinion it's a great watch if you're in the right frame of mind. I do not think wow. it's a great movie, but there's a funness to it that I enjoyed um, to it. So. Have a couple glasses of wine. <laughs> We're done here. Okay, well, the machine has said that we do need to wrap this up. So there's a few things that we need to get through. Uh, first, let's do some critics' choice. There's so no unfortunately that watched this film. Unfortunately, Pauline Kale did not go and see this film. Roger Reaper did. He did not like it very much uh, back in 1982. He gave it two out of four stars. That's pretty he, high. That's pretty high. He writes, The movie seems assembled off the shelf. There are no inspired songs in it, the big dance numbers seem to be exercises in crowd control, and the story is idiotic. It depends on how long it will take Pfeiffer to figure out that Caulfield is the guy behind the mask. That is a kind of a weird, like the whole Superman thing where she can't tell that that's who it is, regardless. Does she care? Do we? The grease chemistry between Travolta and Olivia Newton-John is lacking in the Pfeiffer-Caulfield match. Maybe because all Caulfield does is stand around and look quizzical and mysterious. In between shots where a stunt double does his trick riding for him, that's when the mask comes in really handy. Amazingly, Caulfield doesn't even dance much, and there's nothing to equal Travolta's great dance sequences in the original. With the whole world to choose from, couldn't they have found a good dancer for the lead? I kind of agree with them on that one point. Cutthroat. Um, Because Michelle Pfeiffer does do much of the heavy lifting. Because there was no other reviews that I could really find, I went to Letterboxd and I just searched for someone who... Really enjoyed this movie. And I came across the user Sean O'Cons, who wrote, wrote, I I know I am wrong, (laughs) but this movie has been one of my favorites my entire life. It is perfect. The Fast Five of Musicals. No, (laughs) no, come on. I like that description. I've never seen any of the Fast franchise dave dave is like the apologist of the fast franchise a little bit in that i actually outright hate the first two uh which most people kind of like but i think they get better as they go along but fast five is legitimately a good good movie like an action blockbuster fast five is the only one i can say legitimately is a good movie is fast five these other ones are like you can watch them heist fun characters stupid rock's Mm -hmm. first appearance as a giant sweaty Mm -hmm. monster uh, and then after totally that, totally not homoerotic for the entire runtime. Their yep. little bear wrestling match, but the by the end, it's it's just like I, I was in for the ride. But that last one where they drove a car into space, I just gave up. They, I they just put a car. In yeah, just yeah. I just don't want just it anymore. Know that if that if Greece had kept going on, Greece Seven probably would have been them singing in space. Well, Airplane so. Two, they were in space. So. <laughs> they do also go to space. That's true. <laughs> seven. Well. Absolutely would have been like four. <laughs> it would have been space by four. Yeah, that's right. All right. Well, we do have to answer this question then that we ask every week. Does this hold up and is it still culturally relevant? Matthew, what do you say? It's probably better on the watch today than it was when it came out. I find I, like I say the, I, I can't speak to relevance, but that's Yeah, relevance is always the hard one. Like I don't think 
the movie is relevant. I do think, as I keep saying, like some of the songs are becoming uh, more and more popular and liked and performed by other people. So I, I think yeah. that that's probably it's going to be. I'm not that I think it's as good as like Kesarasra or something. It could be that sort of thing where that's the song is what's being referenced, but not the movie. The movie I don't think has any cultural relevance much anymore. But Dave, what do you think? No, 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 no. Yeah, there's, there's <laughs> just, just a nothing, flat no. There's nothing it, redeemable it about it. Return to sender. Well, look, uh, <laughs> what was is a cool writer. You know, Michelle Pfeiffer's uh, solo. Is it a good song or is it because Michelle Pfeiffer singing? I don't know. I mean, I'm not a musician. I can't tell how it's written as far as its harmonics. But at the reality mm-hmm. is, this is, it's, it's shit, Kyle. It's, it's, it, you know, if, right. if people want to appreciate it for its shittiness, that's fine. That's a niche sort of uh, critique. But as a film, I mean, you, you made the mistake of saying you thought it was direct to us. It's, it's not. It's... It's I think poor. It it's I I I would. There's nothing redeemable about it. <laughs> Maybe hey, I was just comparing it to the first Grease film, like because I watched it like literally back to back. But Matthew brought up the best point, which is you can't translate stage musicals into film. They look at the world through different lenses, so you're mm-hmm. kind of up against it. And uh, this is a prime example of everything that can go wrong with trying to do something of this nature. I see you and I counter with Mamma Mia. <laughs> Yeah. An incredible film. All right. And I've never seen on the stage and I can't imagine it being better. Yeah. Hmm. It's it's done very differently on stage for sure. With the with the adaptation of it of Mamma Mia in particular, it's just a bunch of actors doing what they probably would have done on stage. Yeah. On a beach while drunk. <laughs> Honestly, I would watch a movie that's just Christine Baranski drunk. Like, I just would. Like, it's just such so fun On to watch. Time birthday concert via Zoom. <laughs> that's a, right. Just that is true. Drunk. Like, totally blasted drunk. It's like, we're going to sing yeah, a song. I'm like, up. okay. Sign me up. All right. Well, we do need to rate this film. But before we do, um, that is what Dave, Matthew, and I thought. What do you think? You can send any feedback to Kyle and Dave VS the machine at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter or Instagram with the handle KDVSTM. We also do release two videos each week on our YouTube channel that matches the movie we're talking about that week. On Mondays, we react to the trailer. And then on Fridays, it's a mini review of the film. If you want to see the entire list of films that we've watched and the ratings we've given, you can go to our letterbox page letterbox.com slash kdvstm and if you want to support us monetarily so that we can continue doing this podcast and not usher in the next apocalypse you can go to our patreon page there is a link in the show notes to this episode you can support for as low as a dollar a month something that you can do for absolutely free is to leave a rating and review on whatever app you use for podcasts let's get to the rating of this film you know matthew if you had to if someone was forcing you to rate this film out of five what would you give it gun to head (laughs) gun to head I, for its lasting power and that we are still talking about it today, I'm going to give it 1.5. 1.5. Great. Dave, what are you going to give it? I'm going to mirror that, Mark. I, I would go lower, but you know what? I, I love Michelle Pfeiffer and she can do no wrong. And uh, yeah. And you know, you brought up a point too, Kyle. Thinking about the shitty movies we've watched in the last three years, right? Like this is not a Yes, Giorgio this is not a million dollar duck. Million dollar duck, which this made is... me actively want to kill myself. Yes, <laughs> it's not. <laughs> this is not a message in a bottle. Like, you know, I didn't I didn't want to gouge myself. But 1.5, yeah, 1.5. Let's go with 1.5. Oh, you're in 1.5. I'm, yeah. I'm like, I'm giving it a two. 
Like again, I don't yeah. I don't think this is a good movie. Uh, but I enjoyed watching it. I don't know what it is. I'm I'm broken, Dave. I'm broken. <laughs> that means that that is going to of course average out to uh, 1.75. It'll be uh, averaged down to 1.5 in our official ratings, which means it's going to enter our list at the number 10 position. Just know that we've only talked about 11 films this year, so <laughs> that's not saying anything great here. I am so excited to know what we're going to watch next week, so let me just push this button here. We continue going through the year 1982. Uh, next week, we're going to be watching Diner. We're going to be watching the movie Diner, um, which I know is directed by Barry Levinson, hmm. whose son runs Euphoria. That's about the only connections that I know from this film. I've heard good things about this movie, though, so I'm mm. excited to jump into it. Have you watched Diner at all, Matthew? Never even heard of it. Me neither. Okay, great. I'm and looking forward to it. <laughs> out Sam Levinson as a child of someone famous, which I did not know. Uh, Matthew, thanks so much for joining us here today. If people wanted to like keep up with you, see what you're up to, just vibe with what you're doing, what's the easiest way for them to do so? I would recommend they speak to a therapist. <laughs> um, but uh, if they did speak to a therapist and got permission, I would say um, you can find me on Twitter. I'm not really on, I mean, I'm on Instagram, but like there's nothing there for you. Um, <laughs> and my website and whatever and all of that good stuff. All of it is Matthew K. Begbie, and you can find me there. My robot therapist told me I can't go on Twitter anymore, but then how am I going to advertise my Grease 2 NFT? If you had to pitch, if someone came to you and said, you need to pitch us Grease 3, what would that look like? You know what? Here's the thing. The concept of Grease 2, I was thinking about this. I was like, if I had to do a Grease 2, it would be, it's really not a bad idea. It's just Grease kind of inverted. They just kind of did it bad. But like... If you're still trying to make it a period piece, right? Like the other two, invert it again. Waluigi it. Make it a, <laughs> an inverse of an inverse. Like if one is Mario and two is Wario, then In a haunted three mansion. needs to be the Waluigi. And I don't know what that looks like. I don't know, but some sort of monstrosity, the Waluigi baby or something like that. Oh. You know, I was thinking too, just talking about the time periods, it is kind of interesting how you could watch Greece, Greece 2, and then hairspray, and they would kind of make a bit of a trilogy, weirdly yeah, enough. But kinda. What if I just said hairspray? <laughs> just hairspray. That's my pitch for Grease Three. It's just hairspray. That's a good idea. No, yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't. I could not wrap my head around the concept of a Grease Three because it's should just it's be over. Just, yeah, just more, just Skip more, <laughs> just more, more of this, more Grease. I would say. Grease is a horny movie. Grease 2 is somehow hornier. Grease 3 is just... Just porn. Gonna be the horn. <laughs> Bring on Mamma Mia 3. I do. I do. I do. I do. I do.